Okay, you ready? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Fantastic. Let's stop there. Look at, look at that. Let me just pull this out of the way. Now, let's see what we produce. We have, well, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. It's nice. Oh, that's good. What, that is very big, John. Now, what I didn't say was the competition would, the towers are going to be tested for, uh, for their structural capabilities. And the, the primary way we're going to test it is with fire. So we're going to test Eloise's first. Yep, good, very good. No estate, fantastic. You've built a brilliant tower. Come here, sweetie. That is a very good tower. It was tested with fire and it stood, nothing burned. Right, John. Come back, we want. This is your tower. <laughs> good idea, good idea. Get the... No, we're not going to set fire to the hay, but you can guess what might have happened. We'd have had a fire alarm, <laughs> fire brigade went out, because it would have gone straight on fire, straight away. So why are we doing that? Because it's always good to see John throwing hay around. No, we're doing that because our subject for today is stones and straw. We're in 1 Corinthians, um, and we've been in 1 Corinthians for a while. We've taken a break for a couple of weeks. Last time, Rich was preaching on that. And we're in 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to read the passage from verse 10. It should be on the screen here. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. Previously, the picture Paul has used to address division in the church has been one of God's field or God's farm. He's saying, well, some people sow, some people water, but it's God that gives the growth. That's God's role. He grows us. And leaders have a role, but fundamentally, as a church, we're relying on God to grow us. That was the point Paul was, Paul was making to help us understand why there were divisions and why unity was important. And he moves on in a second to talk about the temple in verse 16. But as subject today, the picture, if you like, today for us is a building. And it's what we use to build that, which is really important. And the focus moves from looking at it's God who grows to what are you building with? What are we building with? God's got a role. Of course he has. It's a key role. It's the important role. He's God. He grows us. But we have a role when it comes to building the church. We have a role when it comes to building unity within the church. And it's our turn today to look at ourselves in that sense. And we, 
we understand from this passage that a church built with precious stones, things that won't get ignited by fire, that is one that will last and one that is unified. And therefore, our big question today, if you like, is how can we build churches that will last? How can we build churches that are unified? And then secondly, what's our part to play in that? Now, we, hopefully most of us here understand that when we're building a building, one of the most important things is a strong foundation. Now, does anyone know what this building is here? Anyone under 10 know what that building is? Hands up, traditional method. Yes, Joseph. The Shard, that's right. The Shard down in London, one of the biggest, tallest buildings in Europe. Apparently, I read that when they built the foundations, they put 5,500 cubed meters of concrete in, in one go, which is one of the biggest concrete dumps, single concrete dumps in the history of the world ever. Why? Because it was going so high. So they need an absolutely solid foundation. Now, I've, I've got no idea how, how big 5,500 cubic meters is, but it sounds like a lot. But you see, Paul wanted to build strong churches, and he had something better, better than 5,500 cubic meters of concrete. Do you know what he had? He had Jesus. What do we read in the passage? Jesus is our foundation. Jesus is the foundation of the church. We read in Ephesians as well, Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is our foundation, and he has already been laid. For a church to do anything for any length of time with any sort of unity, Jesus has to be the foundation. What does that mean for us as a church? He means this. It's all about Jesus. He's central to everything. Whether it's Monday night football or mini kids or fuel or Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons or prayer meetings or meeting together in life groups or hanging out during the week, what brings us together is Jesus. What we're focused on is Jesus. He's the center. And I heard a story of one life group when they started, that different people, some knew each other, some didn't. And the first thing they did, after tea and coffee, of course, the first thing they did was to break bread together, have communion. They remembered what Jesus has done. And this statement was made, this is what brings us together. This is why we're here. It's because of Jesus and what he has done. Which is why we try and break bread regularly in small groups. We do it family nights as well. And how we would, why we're doing it, we're good doing it on Sunday mornings in future as well. We want to make Jesus central. Of course, when we sing, we want to be singing about Jesus, don't we? We want to be worshipping him. Now, there's a place for expressing our emotions towards him. There's a place for expressing how God feels about us. But if all our songs are all about those things, it becomes more therapeutic than worship. It becomes more about us than him. And so if we want Jesus as our foundation, then when we sing, when we worship, when we gather together, we will speak of him. We will worship him. We will glorify him. We will magnify him. He will, of course, be the focus. And when we preach, we'll preach Jesus. We've just come out of the series. It's all about Jesus. Do you know something? We're still in the same series. It's got a different title. It's still all about Jesus. 
But what does that mean for us, though? What does it mean for us? So obviously, what we're doing today, we're looking at a passage, and Paul's focus here is on the church. He's talking about churches. He's just come away from talking about church leadership. He's still talking about church leaders and what they should be doing and how they can build the church. But there's still a part for us to play. So what does it mean for us to know that Jesus is our foundation, to know what has already been laid in our lives? It means so much. And I'm going to cover a few things this morning. So let's cover them briefly. It means this. We have Jesus' righteousness. We are not trying to make up our own righteousness. We're not trying to please God and prove to him that we are right enough for him. We don't need to. That's not what we need to do. That's not what building with stones is. Jesus has done it. He has clothed us in his righteousness. So we're not trying to make ourselves right with God because he's already done it. Redemption. He's paid for us. He's redeemed us. He's bought us at a great price, which is the cross. There he paid for our sins. We don't need to. We don't need to. We don't need to pay for our sins. The price is already paid. We're not going to get punished for our sins. Jesus has already been punished. He has redeemed us. He's paid the price. That's not what we're building. It's already been paid for. God's wrath has been removed. God's wrath, his anger at you and I because of the sin that we committed, his anger at sin, it has been removed by Jesus. The big word is propitiation. That's what Jesus has done. He set aside God's wrath. So when we come to God, we're not trying to placate him. We're not trying to say, oh, don't be angry, God. Jesus has taken God's wrath away. So when we come to the Father, we come to one who embraces us. We're told we enter the presence of God with freedom and confidence in Christ Jesus. He set aside God's wrath. He's rescued us from an eternity without him. He's our saviour. Do you know what that means? We're not looking for other people to save us. We're not looking for other saviors. We're not looking for heroes in this world because he's our hero. He's our savior. He's our rescuer. He's the one who's saved us for eternity. And so we need to be really clear. Before we start talking about building and stones and straw, we need to be clear. This is the foundation that has been laid. Past tense. It has been laid. So we're not trying to earn God's favor. We're not trying to be right enough for God. We're not trying to put aside his anger. That's not what we're doing with the building of, with stones. That's not what we're doing. Jesus has done that. Now, for some people here, for most people here, we know Jesus is our foundation. But there's always space for, in a room like this, people that don't know Jesus as your foundation. You don't know that he's rescued you and redeemed you and removed God's wrath but he can do that for you. So here's my plea. The reason you're here this morning is God's brought you here. He wants you to know him. You don't have to try and make yourself right for him. You don't have to clean yourself up so you can be acceptable. You come to Jesus 
And he does that all for you so you can know an amazing, pure, holy, wonderful, loving Father. You simply put your trust in Jesus. He can be your foundation. So let's look at what it means to build then. And when we're building, what we see really clearly is the material we build with is important. Materials matter, don't they? So John built very quickly with straw, but if it gets tested, it's going to go up. Eloise built very quickly, but didn't go very high with stone, but we tested that and it stood. We want to be building with these sort of things, not with the straw. Church leaders are encouraged by Paul here to build with the right materials, ones that don't burn up and ones that bring about unity. And it's true for us. As we build with costly stones and gold and silver, we're built together. We're more unified. We're building on the foundation of Jesus. And I want you to notice one thing in the passage. Do you notice what gets checked? The quality gets checked, not the quantity. Now in today's age, this feels to me revolutionary in a culture where more and more is the the byword and hurry, hurry, and we prove ourselves by what we produce. Paul's saying here, no, no, in the kingdom of God, what gets checked is the quality, not the quantity. So whenever we're talking about building this morning, we're not talking about doing more and more and more. And some of you are sitting here, I can't build anymore. I can't do anymore. My life is packed. We're not talking about quantity. We're talking about quality today. I find that releasing. I find that really helpful. But the key question here, though, as I'm sure you're thinking is, what are stones? What are costly stones? And what straw and wooden hay? What are the things that get burnt up? And what are the things that will last? To put it simply, what stone and what straw? Well, it sounds to me it's time for a game show. Time for a quiz. And if you are in under, if you're under eight, you get to shout out the answer to these questions. So we're going to play stone or straw. If you're nine, I'll still listen to you, don't worry. Stone or straw. Okay, so we're going to put on the screen in a second some words. And you have to tell me if it's stone or straw. Now, in thinking about what stone or straw could be for Paul, it's quite hard to get your head on because he didn't actually tell us in this passage. Have you noticed that? He doesn't say what they are. So I was chatting with Dan on Thursday. And I always have a chat with Dan before I preach because then I can steal his ideas and claim them as my own. It's really helpful. If, you ever, you know, if you're not preaching, get an hour with Dan, get all the good ideas, make them your own, and never tell anyone. Just a minute. Just completely undone that, haven't I? Anyway, we were chatting about that. And he was saying, well, Paul's probably got in mind what he's going on to say in the rest of Corinthians. So what I've done is I've pulled a few things out of the rest of Corinthians, things he says, and we're going to say, is it stone or is it straw? Stone, straw, straw, stone. Stone, straw. Straw, stone. We're going to find out, aren't we? I can see the excitement levels rising. (laughs) Right then. You ready, Ben? Right, first one. Expecting leaders to be perfect, to be super leaders and super apostles, would think stone or straw. I need shouting, I can't hear. Stone or straw. 
straw. That's right, Eliza. It's straw. Look, it's ended up on the pile of straw. Technology. Look at that. I couldn't get the animation to work to slide down. Just couldn't work it. Anyway, expectantly, that's a straw. Why is that straw? It's not going to last. It's not the thing that Paul wants to see in the church. It's not going to encourage unity if we're expecting leaders to be completely perfect and completely amazing. This is what the Corinthian church were expecting from Paul. And we'll hear later on how he goes on to say, it's not how it works, guys. We're human. We're called by God. We're gifted by God. But we're not going to be super apostles. We can't expect leaders to be totally perfect. That straw, it's going to get burned up. It won't last. It won't help the church build. Next one. Not taking sin seriously. Not taking sin seriously. Stone straw. Stone straw. Stone straw. It's not straw. Eliza's on it. What happened to you guys? She's single-handedly taking this down. You'll get another chance, don't worry. Later on we'll hear how Paul chastises the Corinthian church for boasting about how much sin was prevalent in their church. I love going for a run in the countryside and getting absolutely covered in mud. It's just one of my favorite things to do. I've got old trainers on, I've got old socks on, old shorts on, old t-shirt, I just go. If there's a puddle, I run through it. If there's mud, I run through it, I don't go around because I just want to get filthy as anything. Now, if I had my best wedding suit on, I might approach that slightly differently. In fact, do you know something? I wouldn't even go into the woods, I'd be on the path. Because the clothes I have been given, the clothes that I'm wearing, are not appropriate. Now, we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Why on earth are we going to run on muddy paths? Why on earth are we going to take a, a casual attitude to sin? Because we're clothed in his righteousness. We've got different clothes. We don't even want to go into the woods. We want to walk on the path that God's given us. Next one. Doing things with love. Stone. Straw. Stone. Nice one, Lily. Good shout over there as well, Kezia. Great. Stone. Doing things with love. It's stone. Should we read 1 Corinthians 13, the most famous passage? But it links to what we're talking about today. I think it's going to appear here in a second. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is so radical. We get back to the quantity versus quality again, don't we? I can do all these amazing things. If you saw someone who was speaking in tongues, who was, what is it, uh, prophesying, fathering all mysteries, had all knowledge, could move mountains with faith, nice one, but they weren't doing it with love, it's just a waste of time. It's just a gong, it's just a noise. This, we've got to get hold of this. 
It sounds to me it's better to do one thing well with love than to do all these things with no love. See, that is straw. It's just going to get burnt up. But if you want to build with stone, it has to be with love. Brilliant. Next one. What we got now? Not being considerate of others. Not thinking about others and how they feel, how your actions affect them. Straw stone! Straw Kezia on the money! Of course it is. Paul's expectation as a church, as a body, is that we would think about others. We consider them. We consider how our words and our actions affect them. Of course, that's how we build a unity within the church, of course. Which is why not being considerate is straw. Right, have we got any more? Let's see. Purposeful and planned giving of money. Stone. Nice one, Elsie. Stone as well, brilliant. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. It's dead simple, guys. You set aside a bit of money at the start of the week that's in line with your income, and then when I come, it's been done. Fantastic. A really simple thing, but an essential part of our discipleship with Jesus. It's far more complex than we've got to go in this morning. But a united church... A church that builds on stone is a church that is committed to giving to the cause of God financially, out of love, not because they have to, cheerfully, with faith. Have we got any more? Yes, I think we have. We've got a couple more. Lack of self-discipline or laziness. Is it a stone? Will it last? Or is it straw? Will it burn? Straw. We're getting the idea of it now. Multiple voices. Audience participation. Right, it is straw, isn't it? Lack of self-discipline. Paul says this, I beat my body to make it my slave. I wonder if you have the same attitude to your walk with God, to your life. Are you slave to what your body tells you to do? I'm feeling tired, so I will do nothing. I'm feeling hungry, so I will eat. My sugar levels are low, so I'll stuff my face with chocolate. These aren't necessarily sinful, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's an encouragement by Paul to not be completely at the disposal of our physical body. He's got a greater commitment. It's not a commitment to to feel comfortable. His commitment is to the kingdom of God and the church of God. Which means this, he makes radical decisions. Which means this, he might turn his phone off for a day. Maybe. Maybe he might go without food for a day. Now, I'm not fasting today, so it's not a rule. This is not legalism. But you make a choice. You decide before God in faith what are the things, the right things to do. But we don't just listen to what our body says to decide. And so maybe, controversially, rather than picking up the remote for the TV, you might pick up for the Bible, even if you don't feel like it. What? We're in grace. Yes, I know we are. But we also are not subject to our bodies. So we choose things. We choose to do things out of discipline and love for God that don't feel like we want to do. Does that make sense? I don't want to end up on that it's all grace, it's all grace, don't do anything, it's fine. I don't want to end up on that you have to do this. There's a line in between, isn't there? 
where we say, I'm not going to be subject to my body. I'm going to choose what I think is the right thing to do in God, in grace, in faith. Last one. Clinging to the truth. Reminding ourselves of truth. Stone, straight in there. Not enough the question. Didn't get to go stone or straw. Stone. Of course it is. Do you not find it interesting that the only ceremony or only memorial or only the only thing that Jesus said we had to do in terms of corporate worship was to take the bread and take the wine and remember what he has done. He was saying this, we should never, never move away from the cross. Never move away from the truth. We've got to remind ourselves of it. He's saying, so, it's so important, I'm going to introduce a meal. Something that you do on a daily basis. And when you come together and break bread and drink wine, remind yourselves of what I have done for you. We've got to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. It is a solid stone. Paul knows that the church will not be unified. It will not last unless they cling tirelessly and relentlessly to the truth. It's so, so important that we build with the right materials. We want to last. We don't want it to be burnt up when the fire comes. Right, I want to finish with one last point, if that's okay. There's something else I want us to notice within this passage. So if we go back to the passage. It says, each one, each one should build with care. For no one can lay any other foundation than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hail, straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though as only as one escaping through the flames. Paul's normal language is to talk in plural, is to say to the church, to you, plural. He, he's completely different here and really clear. He's saying, you need to take responsibility for how you build your life. Leaders of churches, you need to take responsibility for how you build the church. I don't think I've ever arrived in the middle of a squabble between my children. I don't think I've ever arrived and one of them's gone, I'll be honest with you, Dad, it was my fault. It was me. I've, I, I, nothing to do with these guys. Yep, it's me. I take full responsibility. It was my actions. It's what I did that caused this. That's why this squabble, this argument is taking place. Now, parents, I think you can agree with me. That is, has never happened. Because, because children don't really want to take responsibility all the time. They will eventually, but they want to say, oh, it's their fault. They did it. It's their fault. It's, it's, it's not me. It's them. I am... Um, was putting together this sermon on Saturday night while 
Um, Jules and the two big girls were watching a film downstairs. Peter Rabbit, nonetheless. And I'd, I'd finished my prep, but they were still watching the film. And I came down at the point, this is not, I'm not, this is not even exaggerating, at the point where Peter Rabbit is saying, <laughs> I can't do a James Corden impression, but anyway. He's saying, it was me, I did it. I need to own up to this. I need to take responsibility for my actions. I was like, whoa! A God-given illustration right there. Peter Rabbit goes around causing absolute havoc, trying to get away with it, never taking responsibility. His big lesson in the film, you don't need to watch it now, Grand Revelation, I'm learning to take responsibility for myself. He takes responsibility for himself. Kids, we need to be like Peter Rabbit. Taking responsibility for our actions. I've also recently been reading a book called Poverty Safari, written by a guy who was built, uh, brought up on a very rough Glaswegian estate. And he had a horrendous life, the details of which are not even appropriate to mention in this context. But it was a, a, a troubled upbringing, and he ended up himself in a very difficult situation, um, involved with um, the wrong sort of people, the wrong sort of crowd addicted to substances, and his life was an absolute mess. And he said, what turned his life around? What changed it? There were two things that changed the situation. This is number one, and this is, this is irrelevant to our message today, but so key in terms of what we do as a church. He found people that genuinely loved him and cared for him. He found a community of love. Now, it wasn't actually a faith context. He just found people who were for him. He wanted to stick with him thick and thin, even when he was rubbish to them. That was number one. Number two, and this is the relevant point of the day, he had to stop blaming everyone else for where he was. His life narrative, his story had been this, it's my parents' fault. It's society's fault. It's politicians' fault. It's the local government's fault. It's the school's fault. That's why I am where I am. And it's only at the point he said, I am responsible for where I'm at, and the only person that's going to change it is me. That's when it changed. Now, that's not to say he didn't have huge barriers to overcome. That's not to say his past didn't affect his thinking or what he did or how he spoke or anything like that. It did. But the only way he was going to change, the only way he was going to move forward is by saying, it's down to me. I'm responsible for where I'm at. I'm responsible for getting out here. Now, we have a slightly different narrative, don't we? Because we're in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit. But we still have this one, I'm responsible for what I do. And Paul seems to me making this point. You and I are responsible for the materials that we build with. Whether we choose straw or wood or hay, or whether we choose gold and silver and costly stones. Each one builds. It will be tested in the day and by fire. We need to make good choices on a, not just a daily basis, not even an hourly basis, but a minute-by-minute minute basis. Each one builds. Let's remember this, though. We're not building to attain righteousness, to rescue ourselves, to remove God's wrath. That's the foundation upon which we're building. 
That's the solid, unchanging foundation. Jesus is our foundation. We don't have to touch any of those. We are welcomed into the presence of the King of Kings. We're adopted as children. We're loved by him. We're able to enter his presence with freedom. We can come to him on a minute-by-minute basis and know we will be embraced by him because of what Jesus has done. That's not what we're doing when we build. But we still, each one of us, have big decisions and little decisions to make, and we need to choose what we're going to build with. So I just want to give us a moment of honesty right now, just to reflect on our lives at the moment. What are we building with? What are you building with? Can you spot any straw or any hay? Are there some costly stones that you set aside because they're just too heavy to move? Are there things that you need to pick up again? They may be weighty, but they're solid and they will survive the fire. And are there things that you know are just hay? They're not building unity. They're not building you up. They're not building the church up. Here's the stark and in some senses shocking fact. In the light of day and when the fire comes, it will be tested. And it will reveal what it truly is. And today, by God's grace, we get a chance just to consider that question for ourselves. Because I don't want a pile of ash left over next to me to present to Jesus. I want something solid and shiny that glorifies him. Amen. Amen.